You are now listening to What the Health, a podcast dedicated to helping you navigate your way to better health. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 72 of What the Health. I'm your host, Lena Lahiri, and today I'm joined by, for the second time, Dr. John Kim. Dr. Kim is a functional medicine pharmacist. He has been in clinical practice for 15 years and has been a foremost voice in health, wellness, and preventative medicine. He received his doctorate in pharmacy from Rutgers University with high honors and is trained in functional medicine from the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine. He actively lectures throughout the country and is an influencer within the functional medicine world to educate and empower everyday people to live a healthy and fulfilling life. His overall message is that the doctor of the future is you, the patient. I want to preface this episode by saying, if you are on one of the medications that we talk about, do not stop taking your medication. Always, always, always check with your doctor before you make any decisions. This episode is not intended to shame anyone for being on medications or to suggest that medications aren't necessary in certain situations. What this episode is intended for is to give you, the consumer, the patient, more information when it comes to choosing these medications and whether you want to stay on them or not, or whether you even want to start taking them or not, and some potential alternatives to medications. So without further ado, let's get into today's show. Welcome back to the show, Dr. John. It's great to have you back here. Lena, thank you so much for the invite again. I I was pleasantly surprised to be your second guest. So I I guess I did an okay job the first one. So I hope I have to continue doing this. You did a fantastic job, the first one. And for all of our listeners, our first episode together was episode 54. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to that, you can go back and listen to that episode. But today we're going to be talking all about prescription medications. But before we get started, for those of um, our listeners who haven't listened to episode 54, can you just give a little bit of your background and how you got into this field of work? Sure. My name is Dr. John Kim. I'm actually trained to be a compounding pharmacist. So I do customized medication for patients. But 15 years ago, when I was just going through my bouts of externship through for pharmacy school, I noticed that there was a big disconnect between overall being healthy and as well as, you know, providing a proper patient care as well. And one thing that really drove me was that uh, we have to find the root cause of the uh, issue, and that was not being really discussed about. So I wanted answers. So that's how I got into functional medicine, and I've been doing functional medicine consultation for the last 15 years. A wide variety of patients that I take care of, from autoimmune disorders to autism, to dealing with uh, you know, tick-borne illnesses like Lyme disease, and as well as you know, right now is the long haul issue with COVID is something that I've been really been. Um, interested in and helping patients out about that. So that's where my overall background is. And I've been doing a bit of a, you know, active uh, uh, interviewing on podcasts and as well as being on Instagram. So it's been fun. Yeah. And you have a really unique perspective because of course 
you're trained to know all about these medications that are so widely prescribed. And, you know, a lot of people, they, they get given a medication and yet they don't really know anything about it. And so you actually have the knowledge behind what these medications do and some of the long-term um, consequences that can come with them. That is the issue that a lot of times not being really discussed about because including patients and healthcare professionals, we're so trained to think about one disease, one medication, and you have to be on a long-term and that's going to be the end of that. But the issue behind a lot of medications is that it can actually inconsequently end up having to affect um, body's enzymes, uh, including depleting some of the nutrients that you value need for your mitochondrial health. And you end up having to cause more damage than anything else. Just give you an example is that taking statin drugs for a long period of time, you know, it's not a good idea because they end up having to deplete CoQ10, vitamin K2, uh, including the fact that all those things end up having to affect the mitochondrial function resulted in long-term consequence be, you know, developing diabetes and end up having to be that it causes more diabetes issue, taking statin drugs in women, right? So these are things that, that needs to be talked about, but the entirety discussion end up having to be controlled by the big pharma and as well as how that particular driven point is being educated within the um, healthcare, medical school, uh, even pharmacy school for that matter, that this is how we should be doing it instead of actually questioning this, why are we doing it? And what are the issues behind taking these type of actions long-term? Yeah, and I think it's important too to caveat this whole episode by saying, if you're taking one of the medications that we discuss, it's incumbent upon you to not stop taking it. And just to gain more information and see what works for you, um, this is not us saying stop all of your medications. <laughs> no, yeah, that, definitely not. I'm, I'm, I'm still a pharmacist. I own a pharmacy, okay? I dispense regular medications, including uh, compound medications and consulting patients about nutrition, right? So one of the things that I really like to push is taking a probiotic when you're taking antibiotic, right? These are things that need to be discussed about, but there's such a misunderstanding about the importance of probiotic that some of our medical colleagues are basically saying that there's no proof of taking probiotic that you could just get your probiotic from food. When did that even have a discussion of that? So these are the things that needs to be debunked, but also the consumers as well as the patients have to make the right choices and think about what can I do to not take the medications uh, in a controlled manner and have the means to have the accessibility information from a practitioner like myself or anywhere else to make the right choices because a doctor features you. I'm a big strong believer that you as a patient should be making those choices um, well, uh, and really taking charge of your health. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So why don't we start the conversation by discussing statins? What are statins? What are they used for? How often are they prescribed? And what are some of the consequences? So statin drugs uh, is designed to lower your cholesterol. Um, so way, way that the statin drugs, or at least let's name a few of the statin drugs. Uh, Lipitor, which is another a generic name called Torvastatin, uh, the other popular one is called Crestor. 
and the generic name is rosuvastatin. Any drugs that are ending in statin, S-T-A-T-I-N, those are uh, particular drugs that end up having to target the uh, HMZ coenzyme um, enzyme, which is a vital uh, stepping stone to producing cholesterol. That particular enzyme is blocked by the statin drugs. There's a natural um, enzyme, um, natural thing that's been uh, could be derived from redis rice. So there's a redis rice extract could be taken to exert the same effect as the statin drugs. Well, um, Merck was the smart enough one to actually patent that process, and they actually had lovastatin to be one of the first drugs to be on the market. It was called Mevacor. Uh, and that was basically the rest of the history where other pharmaceutical companies came out with other stronger statin drugs to block this particular HNZ coenzyme inhibition to lower cholesterol. Find it all. The issue is that that particular enzyme and the entire cholesterol cascade also makes coenzyme Q10 as well. And that coenzyme Q10 is really needed for your electron transport chain. Um, if you are many listeners member biology that you need to actually have coenzyme that particular enzyme to empower the electrons transport chain so that's where your entire cellular membrane end up having to work well as well as your mitochondria the issue is that you're taking the statin drugs it depletes the production or at least stops the production of coenzyme and that's the biggest consequence that comes into play where statin drugs are known to cause mitochondrial dysfunction uh, and number of diseases that come into mitochondrial dysfunction from Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, or all related to uh, you know mitochondrial dysfunction. I'm not saying that statins are causing those things, but there are certain studies that are coming out. Statins end up having to be more the risk factor, risk risky thing to take to causing Alzheimer's because you're blocking the cholesterol cascade. You need cholesterol to make neurotransmitters and also. You got to think about how your brain works. Your brain is comprised of fat. Well, if you don't have enough cholesterol, you don't have enough fat resulting in your overall brain end up having to be decreased. So that's, that's another issue in terms of your memory and the consequence of that. But if you think about uh, coenzyme Q10 being depleted, uh, there are all, all other issues that can cause oxidative damage. Um, and that overoxidative damage can result in developing into diabetes. That's where we've been accounted for that and number of other issues. Second nutrients that gets depleted is, uh, vitamin K2 and not K1, but K2 is also vitally needed, uh, for protecting overall vasculature function as well. Uh, and so there's been cases where, uh, heart attack patients, when they're getting discharged, they're put on a very high dose of statin drugs. Well, they get come back into the uh, ER or in the hospital because of the fact that the vitamin K2 is depleted and your vasculature is already clogged up again. So is a statin drugs able to prevent the heart attack? Many cases, the overall studies so far stating that it's not doing what it's supposed to be doing. Uh, that actually causes more issue than anything else. So you got to think about this in a, in a long way that it's not just about taking medications to block one thing from happening, that you have other consequences down the line, basically it's like a domino effect uh, that causing more issues. So you got to be careful in terms of why doing it. And, and if you are, let's just say, and by all means, I'm not saying not to see your cardiologist and not listen to your cardiologist, but you need to take into account in terms of why you have a high cholesterol, right? 
and really targeting that. It's not about the the number of the LDL that's more important is the overall breakdown of the the LDL breaking into you know small particle LDL resulting coming and also ApoB. All these things are inflammatory markers to account for what kind of risk factor you have to potentially developing serious cardiovascular problem. Those are the most important part. And also how do we decrease inflammation? Well, it could be one big thing would be diet, right? Getting rid of the sugar is the biggest important thing uh, instead of actually trying to get rid of clean meat, right? Or butter for that matter. The worst thing you could probably end up having to eat is margarine and all these like uh, hydrolyzed fat to begin with that comes from plant. Uh, so you gotta, you gotta have the overall knowledge in terms of knowing what is right and right is wrong. And anything that's being discussed about about cluster these cases is being completely debunked because it hasn't lowered the overall cardiovascular issues or um, mortality coming from that, depending on what type of uh, public health policies that we've been put into play. So um, hopefully everybody listens and make into account in terms of taking charge. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting. You know, I like how you mentioned about when you change one thing, it cannot like our body functions don't sit in isolation. So you target cholesterol, but by doing so you alter the ecosystem and there's repercussions for that. There is no, there's nothing that sits in, in isolation. And then you said, why is the LDL high? Like, why is the cholesterol high? Now I know that um, there's a genetic, there can be a genetic component for sure. When someone does have high cholesterol genetically, can that really be lowered through lifestyle as much as they need? Or for that person, is it necessary to take a statin long-term? I think the lifestyle change should be the first factor that comes into play. Uh, if you are, let's just say, eating McDonald's all the time and having to have Diet Coke at least two or three diet cokes every single day and thinking that, you know, these are the healthy main means of actually taking care of body. You're absolutely incorrect. And it, it, that needs to be addressed from the get-go. Right. Mm -hmm. And that should be the first thing. So when I, whenever I see patients for consultations, I always talk to them about foundational work. The foundational work is based on your exercise capacity, how well you sleep, how well you poop, how well you're able to eat well, that's the most important part, and also cl clean eating, and as well as hydration, and replacing over electrolytes that you need to do, and managing stress. All those are foundational work. It doesn't make a difference if you're 10 years old, or you're 90 years old, all those things should be coming into play to at least make you healthy. Mm -hmm. The issue with the developmental world that we actually living in at this point in time, even in the United States and Canada, is that people don't actually end up having to focus on that because we've been so pre-programmed that there's more cultural issues that we're so pre-programmed that we could just eat whatever you want to and able to have the overall lifestyle and it should be accepted as such. Well, it's not helping you anywhere at all, except for the fact that you're going to get sicker and you end up having to develop much more issues resulting in taking number of medications. So there's a term called polypharmacy where you take one drug, well, that doesn't end. That's just a gateway. It's almost mm -hmm. like taking a, um, you know, illegal drugs for that matter. 
that you're never to take high blood pressure medication and then the high blood pressure lead into diuretics, which is literally taking extra sodium and, and electrolytes out of the body and water, and then having to have other issues. So these are the things that we want to prevent. And polypharmacy in general is not a good way to live your life. Like, why would you want to take five or six medications? Even for that matter, I have patients who are taking 10 medications and thinking that that's, that that's a normal part, right? Why can't we actually address that from the beginning that, you know, you need to eat the right food, you need to manage your stress, sleep well, all these things end up having to be a, a criteria for healthy living instead of relying on a pill. Mm, yeah, that's, that's such an important point to bring up too. I veered towards um, aging for my psychology instead of developmental. And that's polypharmacy is something that's brought up all the time because it has huge implications in working with the elderly. I mean, you know, some you can't tell if someone's actually going through something legitimate or if it's a side, a side effect of medication that they're on or multiple medications that they're on. Yeah. And so this just gets compounded the more medications that, um, that we're on. So I like what you're saying about f- focus on the foundational aspects and then reassess if someone's on a statin, can they get off of it? Yes, they can. Uh, but if you're not able to, at least what you should be doing is, uh, replenishing the nutrients that you're missing. Mm-hmm. So CoQ10, I always recommend my patients to take. So given point, let's say you're taking a, uh, 10 milligrams of a Torvastatin, you should be taking at least 100 to 200 milligrams of CoQ10 or Coenzyme Q10. Mm-hmm. And you want to take the right form of CoQ10 also because there's some very cheap powdery uh, CoQ10 that you're not able to absorb that well. So make sure you get the liquid form or liquid gel caps that are available. Uh, and then if you're taking Rosuvastatin, at least a 5 to 10 milligrams, you should be taking around 300 milligrams of uh, Coenzyme Q10 on a daily basis. And you could take that at a, uh, with food. Also, vitamin K2, uh, you should at least take around, you know, 48 micrograms up to 180 micrograms of uh, vitamin K2. Uh, if you buy a good vitamin D supplement these days, vitamin D, uh, 5,000 units of, of including vitamin K2 is included together uh, to help. One is also helps with the bone building process, including the vitamin D. And what vitamin K2 does is, especially if you have a calcification going on within your arteries, the vitamin K2 is basically cleaving off the the calcification and vitamin D simply ways to help to reabsorb that uh, calcification back into your bones. So if you have a cardiovascular issues or high cholesterol, I don't just tell the patient to take vitamin D, but take vitamin K2 including some type of a lipid lowering agents. Um, so you could take statins. If you don't want to do that, the natural ones that I, I recommend doing is going with bergamot. Uh, bergamot is great to take. Uh, also has, a, and one of the things about natural herbal is that it's not just about targeting that one enzyme. It has this different polyphenols and other compounds there is able to exert anti-inflammatory effect, lowers glycation. That's what bergamot does and able to uh, lower uh, insulin resistance as well. And what bergamot also does is, is able to make you feel full and, and able to uh, utilize some of the store uh, sugar or fat uh, easily within the liver. Uh, so it's a very, very, very good agent to take. Um, one of the things I also recommend patients to do is um, if you're gonna do anything, 
maybe drinking a Earl Grey tea. It does have bergamot in it, infused. So you, mm -hmm. if, if you smell that orangey smell on a Earl Grey tea, well, that's bergamot basically. Uh, so you're going to get all the best of the world from drinking that on top of uh, taking additional bergamot as a supplement and then the vitamin K2 with the vitamin D um, and really and then overall changing your diet. Yeah. Anti-inflammatory. Yeah. And I think that's important too, because if someone's like, okay, I'm on a statin, I'm going to stop taking this, going to get me some bergamot, some CoQ10, DK2, but I'm not going to change my diet and my lifestyle. It's probably not the best idea, right? No, not at all. And it's not about lowering your uh, LDL level either or your total cholesterol. Um, you and I just spoke right before we got on that there's such a misconception about just lowering your overall cholesterol down. Well, the problem is that let's just see if you drop your LDL, which is people think that it's just a lipoprotein. People think that's a bad cholesterol. Well, if you lower your LDL level below a hundred will affect overall your hormone production, especially guys, it drops their testosterone level drastically. And, and testosterone has a big role in terms of protecting your cardiovascular function, mm. your vitality, as well as your sexual health and your well-being. You're basically killing that off by lowering your LDL level. So it's not a good idea to be lowering your LDL level that low because you're causing more consequences. Having low LDL also kills you faster. There's a good study out there right now in uh, that was written back in 2018, actually. And it was looking at, uh, it was a, um, it was looking at 12 million South Koreans, 12 million. And it found out that the mortality rates end up having to increase if you drop your total cholesterol level below 200. And even that also constitutes in terms of LDL below 100 as well. So all these things are very important. You need fat you need good fat, you need right amount of cholesterol to be keeping yourself healthy. But the issue behind right now is the driven point is that you need to lower your cholesterol to be healthy. Well, it's actually killing more people than anything. Mm, yeah. And so can you just touch on like red meat, eggs, you know, they get a lot of Hate. flack. Uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, like conventionally raised meat, you know, I think probably has some issues, but can you just dispel a little bit of the myths surrounding meat and eggs? They meat and eggs, especially red, uh, red meat from a grass fed, you know, cows, basically they provide the best of everything, right? It, it, it provides a complete amount of protein. You're not going to get complete protein from plants, right? So that's something that we all have to realize. Vegans, I mean, probably end up having to get a lot of flag is that vegans think that they're going to get all the complete protein from plants. The issue is that it does not. It doesn't also provide all the necessary nutrients like B12 and all the other things to help deal with um, all the different enzymes in the body. And so people dealing with, just to give you an example, People dealing with chronic illnesses like Lyme disease or even mental health for that matter tend to be vegans. Interesting. They don't recover as, as fast, nor do they end up having to look very healthy either, right? So these are the, I mean, I, I could probably do a separate episode of discussing about this, but if you're looking at the overall chronic illnesses, including autoimmune, Lyme disease and things of that nature, people tend to be vegans. 
And, and, and so there's a lot of myth, myth behind saying that vegans are always healthy. That's not the case at all when you're mm. dealing with chronic illness. Mm. But in dealing with overall um, meat quality-wise, you always want to take, eat grass-fed beef and, um, you know, and, and also uh, clean organic chicken as well because the amount of stuff and the crap of a feed that farmers end up having to feed these uh, animals those are the end, end up having to be more toxic than anything else for the humans. So if you end up having to get a clean grass-fed beef, complete protein, clean, and actually has the right amount of omega-3, omega-6, uh, including all the ne necessary vitamins as well, uh, and then and more, right? So that's one thing, including eggs. If you get a clean, um, free-range eggs that are organic, I mean, you could tell the right difference between the taste of the egg and the quality of the yolk bright orange color, you know, tastes better, has amount of right amount of uh, phospholipids and all these things that end up having to be very helpful for your uh, natural cholesterol production, hormones and such. And so it is better to eat clean, right? And that overall issue dealing with the myth that you come to play with eating meat, it disappears when you pick the right quality produce and, and meat. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, also, you know, that, that bright orange yolk is a result of beta carotene yes. from the chickens feeding on actual grass. And that beta carotene gets converted into vitamin A, which is essential. And meat is also high in vitamin A and K2, which is exactly what you're talking about for, for heart health. And, yeah. and you're going to tell the big difference. Anyway, it tastes better. Totally. People, people out there, you got to eat clean meat and you're going to really enjoy what a good tasting meat tastes like. And mm -hmm. once you do that, you're like, you know what? I'm really hooked on it. And um, if you're dealing with cardiovascular issues, and especially when you have a history of uh, insulin resistance, you want to eat higher protein and high amounts of good fat, right? To control overall issue dealing with glycation, basically it's a burning of sugar in the body and inflammation. And it really keeping your blood sugar level steady. You know, having that spike of the blood sugar, that's more the issue dealing with glycation and, and um, inflammation that you want to control. And these are not the things that we should be really talked about, but it really doesn't. Yeah. What about, what are your thoughts on cured meat? Like there's a lot of like bacon and, and processed meats going on. That's, that's not healthful, is it? It's not, and, and the amount of nitrate that comes into play and, and the aged meats, uh, there's a lot of chemicals that they use as well. Um, not, not, this is not dealing with dry aged meats. That's a completely different picture, right? Mm -hmm. We're talking more in terms of the processed beef, like the, um, you get from like, I don't know, I don't know if you could get Oscar Mayer Wiener up in yep. uh, Canada. Yep. We can't, yep. <laughs> yeah. it's, 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 not a, it's not an American thing. All right, so all those things, like even including hot dogs, it's not a good thing to eat because the amount of chemicals they put into play uh, and all the chemicals to preserve the meat, it doesn't really help health either. Those are the things that could actually has been shown to result in mitochondrial dysfunction, high cholesterol uh, issue, uh, and including, not high cholesterol, but more in terms of the, uh, the inflammation that goes on uh, and the glycation process, all these things that come into play because of the eating the uh, poor quality meat. Yeah. Yeah. And processed meat. I mean, there's some, you know, very good studies showing the link between colorectal cancer and processed meat. So it's definitely something to 
not consume a lot of. No. And, and if you are, I mean, listen, I, I, when I was growing up, I thought spam was the best thing in the world, right? I, 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 I hate to admit it, but I, I, I ate a lot of spam when I was growing up because that was readily available. Uh, and especially growing up in a Korean American household, you know, after Korean War, what the American GIs did was basically threw you know can of spam at at uh, people, not not just the peg in their head, but it was because a lot there were a lot of hungry people in in South Korea after war, and so including this, if you look at the overall diet and the issue dealing with the cardiovascular issues and the mortality right now in, in Korea right now. The more those countries end up having to pick up the modern day American diet, they have a higher cardiovascular issues than anything, right? Mm -hmm. They're also taking a lot of statins as well because of this issue. So it's the bad food culture that we want to fix, mm -hmm. not taking additional medications, basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let's switch topics now and talk. This is something that I really want to talk about. And I think the three of them go hand in hand, even though... Um, two of them are kind of used to treat the same thing. One is used to treat the different, but they all kind of affect one another. And you'll understand when I say it. So I want to okay. talk, I want to talk about PPI. What is this mystery? Okay. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Like what is big, this mystery? <laughs> big riddle. Um, I want to talk about PPIs. Okay. NSAIDs and steroids. Okay. Do you see the link between the three there of them? There is definitely a link with those, but it's just such a huge topic just to talk about PPIs. So yeah, anyone out there who doesn't know what PPI is, PPI stand for proton pump inhibitors. So, you know, if you talk about proton pumps, uh, it blocks basically acid production in the stomach. Well, the problem is that, well, let, let's talk about why you're taking a PPI to begin with. Well, you probably have some uh, GERD issue or having indigestion, having acid reflux, and simple taking antacid was not cutting it, and your doctor decided to put you on a PPI. Wonder drug. The issue is that PPIs permanently blocks the proton uh, pumps, and you need proton pumps, or at least to uh, uh, releasing the uh, hydrogen to produce the acid that you need, and the acidity is what you really need to help to absorb some of the nutrients. And as was breaking down uh, certain uh, proteins and food, and as well as to neutralize pathogens, right? Issue is that if you end up having to block the production of acid, well, you're gonna have more consequences in terms of not able to absorb the necessary nutrients. Well, let's name a few iron, calcium, vitamin D, magnesium, manganese, right? If we're not done yet, it also affects your serotonin production, right? You're also not able to absorb vitamin uh, B, B12, B6. Those are vitally needed for your electron transporter chain. Again, mitochondrial function. It also helps to produce your neurotransmitters, right? All those things are affected right now. Uh, did I say vitamin D? Yeah, vitamin D. Vitamin K2 is not absorbed. That's another issue right there. Mm -hmm. And also depletes uh, coenzyme Q10 at the same time. So all these sort of things are necessary nutrients to help create a homeostasis, helps to support your mitochondrial function, support your immune system and everything else. The issue is that you're causing more issues in terms of causing tiredness, possible um, cause in terms of depleting uh, magnesium 
your electrolytes imbalancing, right? And then not able to absorb magnesium also resulted in higher hip fracture issues there that that's documented that studies already available. And so it's not a good idea taking these antacids for a long period of time because your bone become brittle, your higher fracture rate. Um, and it, it doesn't really necessarily do the thing you want to, again, address the root cause. Why do you actually have acid reflux issues? Who knows? Maybe it's because of the fact that you, you have, um, um, dysbiosis. So meaning that you don't have a good set of pro, a good bacteria to balance that out in the stomach with the digestion could be a lack of enzymes could be some of the medications also depletes enzymes production as well or it could be stress related maybe you're not sleeping well resulting yeah. in enzyme production being decreased that you're not able to uh, um, digest your food correctly stress could be a big issue in, in the gut as well mm -hmm. right stress resulting in lack of uh, enzyme production to uh, uh, digest some of the food and the proteins. And so all these things are root cause issues that we need to address. So maybe you want to take a good set of probiotic. Maybe you want to take the enzymes that you need to break it down. Maybe you just have lack of, um, um, you know, acid production as well can also result in lack of having GERD issues. So sometimes I do recommend in a, in a control setting to take betaine hydrochloride to help with the digestion uh, or taking apple cider vinegar, Bragg's apple cider vinegar to help with digestion as well. So there's a number of ways to actually to fix these things, but just to taking PPIs and thinking that that's going to be the end of it, it doesn't fix it because once you're on PPI, it's very, very hard to get off of it. Yeah. Right. You have the rebound um, GERD issue that's causing more pain than anything else. Um, so you got to be very careful with that. But let's just say you have, you have a patient coming in with a H. pylori issue that's a whole different topic that you may have to use PPI for a short period of time and then helping to, uh, you know, get that issue fixed. Then let's talk about, all right, how do we not take things on a long-term basis to potentially causing additional issues down the line? Yeah. You know, and I, I've heard so many gastroenterologists talk about the negative consequences with long-term PPI use. Um, and also NSAIDs and steroids, which we're going to get into, but the overarching theme with these three is impaired gut function. And when we have impaired gut function, we get into my area of health, which is mental health and psychology. You can't have a healthy brain without a healthy gut. And, you know, the two affect one another, they're dependent on one another. So that's why I wanted to bring up PPIs because I have friends that take them and they don't see any issue. They're like, oh, I have GERD. And it's like, well, okay, but like, what is GERD? And what's the, the real causes of it? And what I'm hearing you say is, you know, it could be all manner of these different things, like taking a digestive enzyme with your meal, because we know that digestive enzymes decrease as we age, could be, you know, a relatively easy fix for it, or taking some apple cider vinegar before your meals, if you're if your acid production is actually too low and it's causing symptoms. So I, I do like how you, you look at all the different areas um, to ask thoughtful questions. Questions are the things that you should be asked all the time. The issues that clinicians are getting too busy taking multiple amount yeah. of patient cases that they just want to get to the next patient or next case. So giving a patient a prescription is the easy ways to, fix it basically. 
right? Yeah. Some way, some ways you could say, oh, you should, they're copying out. Maybe, but that's not the case. They just don't have the necessary time or the capacity to ask all those questions and really doing that. Another thing that I recommend patients to do is if you're actually having GERD issues, usually you actually have some type of gluten sensitivity, including milk sensitivity. So get rid of gluten and casein, basically milk, would be the best way to solve that issue as well. And I've had multiple patients where they end up having to go with a cleaner paleo-based diet, the GERD issue just fixes by itself because gluten in itself slows down stomach fertility, right? And that in itself can cause GERD. So if you fix it by food, it doesn't cost you anything except for just changing your lifestyle. Is butter and cheese and cream high in casein? They can be. So in those patients, what I would recommend do is butter-wise, I would just go with ghee butter instead. Mm -hmm. Ghee butter actually has high amounts of vitamin D, vitamin A, vitamin K2, also contains butyrate, which is also helps with the gut function to begin with. So ghee can be very therapeutic. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. Now, can you touch on NSAIDs and steroids Oof, and the difference? Okay. So, between yeah. So, so that's, oh my goodness. Uh, so steroids, um, corticosteroids, basically talk about prednisone, uh, methoprednisone, uh, or dexamethasone, great wonder drugs, right. To help deal with multiple issues, including autoimmune disorders or heavy inflammation. But if you're taking those particular drugs, it actually depletes your vitamin A, uh, your folic acid or folate, uh, B12, vitamin C, vitamin D, calcium, chromium. And so it's a high issue dealing with insulin resistance, mm. magnesium, potassium, selenium, which is also affecting your thyroid function, including zinc. And, and that can be interrelated to taking NSAIDs as well. Right. So these are the issues that comes into play in terms of, uh, that you have to look at why you're taking uh, steroids for a long period of time. I have patients who are actually taking steroids for many, for at least five to six years. And you know, the consequence of taking high steroids is that you have a brittle bone, right? Mm -hmm. Your vision problems, it can cause uh, thickening of the um, retina, which can cause your vision loss. Uh, your overall epithelial tissues become thinner, right? Including your mouth, your skin, your cervix, your bladder. You also can be leading into anemia, right? Because of your uh, iron getting depleted, including your vitamin B12. So you become tired, becoming weak. Um, and then you have a number of issues, including birth defects, right? So all these, and, and also weakened immune systems. So all these things can be coming into play if you're taking corticosteroids for a long period of time. And that can be uh, related to taking aspens for a long period of time and as well as NSAIDs, like endomethacin for that matter. So ibuprofen. Ibuprofen. Wow. The yeah. number of ibuprofen that people are taking on a daily basis. Well, they're like, this is like the wonder drug. Well, it's, first off, it, you're causing more disruption in, in the body, potentially causing anemia issues and depletion of folic acid and iron. Uh, but also you're ripping your stomach apart as well, right? Taking NSAIDs, it blocks the prostaglandins from being produced, which is supposed to be a protective, basically mucal layer in your stomach, right? Well, that's probably the potential issues causing all that stomach pain and GERD issues as well. So mm -hmm. again, root cause issue, if you're having a particular issue in terms of 
a symptom for that matter. The symptom is resulted in downspiral issue that actually had occurred years ago. You want to find a good functional medicine practitioner to find out what the cause is and try to fix that in a natural uh, therapeutic way instead of actually picking up medication. Not saying that all medications are bad. You could probably take it for a short period of time, but just to name the issue taking corticosteroids and NSAIDs just now, and as a consumer myself, I'd be like, holy shit, I don't want to take this, all these drugs for a long period of time. I want to make a different choices and making a, a right choice and getting myself better rather than being dependent on medication. And this is coming from a pharmacist, mm-hmm. right? My overall <laughs> business is selling drugs. Well, I see that that doesn't fix anything except for creating more problems, yeah. right? I'm, I'm not, and, and this is a, a lot of issues with a healthcare professional, or at least the, the stigma is that, you know, if you don't have enough sick patients, it's not, not enough return in business. Well, I don't want any more return in business. I want to help those people fix their issues and all those people, there are enough people out there needing help that I'm willing to take care of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, long-term steroid use is also associated with, um, it puts you at risk for adrenal insufficiency, mm-hmm. which is a, a huge issue. Huge issue. Yeah. I keep forgetting about that. I, um, taking steroids also can, can also cause, um, electrolyte imbalance because it blocks aldosterone as well. So number of things, we don't really talk about these things, um, readily. Um, actually one drug that comes into play, which has been an issue is taking salicoxibs or any of these COX-2 inhibitors, right? Let's talk about the, some of the drugs that were part of the COX-2 inhibitors that were um, taken off the market by the FDA, uh, Vioxx, right? Uh, as was uh, Bextra. All those drugs were type of the COX-2 inhibitor drugs, but they found out that it actually increased cardiovascular issues and heart attack. What salicoxib and all these uh, COX-2 inhibitor drugs are supposed to do is blocking something called the um, COX-2 enzymes. That particular enzyme, for simply put, is supposed to protect the overall cardiovascular function as a protective effect. Well, you're blocking that particular enzyme to decrease pain and inflammation and causing more consequences result in a number of people dying from taking these drugs. That's the reason why FDA decided to take it off the market, even though the Vioxx was marketed as being safe and effective, right? That whole term safe and effective is such a farce, but this is what the FDA decided to uh, prove. And there was a whole ethic issue as well, where the makers of Vioxx, Merck, had all these data on the cardiovascular risk taking this particular drug, but they withheld it. How criminal is that? Did anybody yeah. go to jail for that reason? No, not at all. Um, but these are the issues that come into play that you don't want to take all these drugs on a long-term basis because it can cause more issues than anything else. Mm. So people go on NSAIDs or steroids predominantly to fight inflammation. So then I guess, what are some natural ways to reduce inflammation? I know we could do a whole podcast on this, Yeah, yeah um, absolutely. but you know, like obviously things in our diet, um, that cause the most inflammation, but like some natural supplements, what are, what would be your recommendations? Getting rid of gluten and casein. That would be the first part, right? All those things can cause inflammation and also what's causing it. Those particular uh, food that containing gluten and casein, it can cause, uh, 
inflammation within the gut in itself. That in itself can cause downspiral of microinflammation that goes into the entire body. And so that can actually increase inflammation. So changing of food and diet should be number one. So more of the natural things you could take, turmeric, I love. Um, you know, before they used to recommend a curcumin a lot of times, they're finding that curcumin is not the best. One, it gets glucuronidated, meaning that it gets metabolized very quickly within your gut by 85%. So it gets de decreased. Um, so they came out with a liposomal form of uh, curcumin, which we thought was good enough. Well, they're soon finding that, you know, your overall lymphocytes and your uh, immune cells are not able to uptake that particular en enzyme, I mean, compound that well. And so now they're actually recommending more of that whole plant approach for a uh, turmeric root. So there's several companies out there now, they're looking at a whole plant approach uh, in replacing the turmeric that you need. So that's one that thing I would highly recommend doing. The second thing is depending on where you live, I don't think, uh, I don't think CBD is available in Canada, but in the United yeah, States it nowadays. Is. Oh, it is? Oh yeah. It's completely legal here now. Oh, they changed it. Okay. Yeah. I, I've been, I've been a little far behind in that aspect of it. So uh, CBD, full spectrum CBD is great supplements to take to help decrease inflammation, right? Um, also, uh, certain enzymes like bromelain is great. So if you buy a good anti-inflammatory uh, supplement, including taking uh, prolytic enzymes, curcumin, bromelain, uh, those are all included in there to help achieve that anti-inflammatory effect you need and help to achieve that pain relief, natural pain relief. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And pain is a whole nother mind psychological oh. yeah, psychological as well trauma can be a big issue Huge. dealing with pain yeah we could do a whole different topic on that you know a little off topic but i have a integrated pain physician that we work with here and interesting enough in order to work with her as as a as a doctor uh those patients have to be screened by a behavioral specialist to see if there's a potential trauma that's triggering it even yeah. before they're able to see the doctor. And then well, I was like, why are you doing this? And she explained to me two years ago, it's like, well, pain is exerted from trauma and behavioral issues that it doesn't make a difference how much pain medication I give them doesn't fix it. And many times they had trust issues because of tr past trauma they had, they have that they're not willing to work with her well. So in order to, and she actually has the patient sign on a, as like an agreement, basically, if you don't follow X, Y, and Z, including seeing a behavioral specialist, you will not be working with Dr. So-and-so. Yeah, that's fascinating. I mean, that's, that's definitely more the realm that, that I'm in. And, you know, it's shown that people with a high ACE score, for example, are more likely to experience chronic pain, but trauma gets stuck in our body. Um, and we just live in this perpetual stress cycle, which just exacerbates pain. So it's definitely anyone who has gone through chronic pain knows the complexity. It's not as simple as just taking pain medication. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you, there's a, there's a bigger picture than anything else. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Coming back to gluten and dairy, how, so if our gut function is impaired, I can see how it would be de detrimental, but what about places where it's higher quality, like say in Europe, where people don't have the same kind of 
diseases that we're seeing in more North American culture. What do you think of that? So there's been a little bit of discussion about this. You know, I'm a strong believer of, you know, most gluten actually causing inflammation in the gut. And then there's another topic in terms of glyphosates end up having to be the biggest issue, which it disrupts the microbiome, also causes your uh, gut to be leaky. And then you're talking also about the genetically modified gluten structure as well, which also causing a big problem. I mean, one of the things that I, I experienced for myself is that when I go to Europe, I could eat all the bread I want to and have zero issue with my gut. But if I don't have to eat at least a you know, big piece of bagel here, I mean, that's like, I can't tolerate it. Yeah. So that's the biggest difference in terms of wheat structure and the wheat quality that you end up having to get and how much of these uh, you know, wheat that we get in the United States are genetically modified that our own body's not able to tolerate that well. Mm-hmm. So there's a two different discussion of that. I think both are true, right? I think both are true. Uh, so you got to be careful in terms of uh, what you're eating. Now, you probably think differently, but including a sourdough bread, that process of baking it, you know, decreases the overall gluten structure and people are able to digest better. So if you are not able to tolerate regular bread, and if you could actually bake sourdough bread from home, it could be a better option for it. But if you have gluten sensitivity to begin with, then don't even try it. Or histamine sensitivity. Or histamine sensitivity. Well, histamine sensitivity is a little different. Histamine sensitivity uh, can result from multiple things, but the root cause issue a lot of times is disruption of the microbiome, especially parasite issues uh, and mold toxicity as well. Uh, so those things has to be accounted to play. You know, we always thought histamine was because of food. Well, there's a lot more than that. It's the disruption of the microbiome. Uh, that comes into play that once you are able to at least decrease the um, the pathogen burden that goes into your body, especially in the mold and the parasites, uh, that issue dealing with histamine reaction would end up to decrease or even disappear. Mm. So one of the physicians that we work with, and I, I, I've seen this seen multiple times that sometimes taking one particular parasite medication can actually decrease or make that histamine reaction disappear in a matter of hours, right? Because of the issue dealing with parasites. And also when you disrupt the overall microbiome, uh, disruption is a positive ways getting rid of the parasites, that overall uh, burn disappears and you're able to fix the root cause issue. Yeah. In terms of dairy, um, because there can be some health benefits to dairy. Do you, what, what are your thoughts on consuming like raw dairy from organic grass-fed cows? I heard it's good. I never actually had raw dairy. Okay. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm in New Jersey and you can't get raw dairy in New Jersey whatsoever. So there are some people who smuggle raw dairy from Pennsylvania, <laughs> but there are great benefits of uh, coming from raw dairy, uh, especially a uh, clusterium. You have a different set of uh, a good set of bacteria that comes from the milk as well. Uh, but if you're not able to tolerate it, um, then don't even bother uh, drinking anything that contain um, lactose. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's illegal in Canada to get raw dairy. We can get raw cheese. Yeah. It's all imported, imported right. um, from France or from, you know, Italy, well, Italy. Yeah. Yep. Parmesan, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. When I went to Italy, I could eat all the bread I wanted and it's not an issue, but like, I can't tolerate it here. 
No, it, like I said, I went to Europe. I'll give you an example. Um, I was in Portugal for one week and the amount of bread that I had, including pastries, I had zero issues, right? And I didn't feel heavy at all. Mm. But when you come here, whole different story, yeah. right? Including getting a, 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 an actual real croissant at, in, in Paris, same thing. I had zero issues eating all that amount of croissant, but here, forget it. I have a one or two piece up, uh, two pieces of that. I'm just having like gut issues. Yeah. I wonder if you went to like an Italian shop or a French shop that imports all of their flowers. If you were to buy something from there, make they your do. own sourdough. I wonder if that would be better. Yeah. They, they do sell that very expensive, but they do sell that. They have imported, um, um, you know, flowers that, uh, that are not as reactive, at least as the ancient greens, basically. Mm. And there are companies out there, I think, uh, I don't know if this is accessible or not. Uh, there's a company called Standard Process. Well, they are a vitamin company, but they also sell ancient grains that are not genetically modified. Uh, and I've heard from different practitioners saying that those patients who are reactive to other gluten or other wheat, they're able to tolerate this. Wow. which is crazy. Um, also, another thing that I could recommend for patients who have gluten sensitivity, uh, using taff, right? That's that's a particular grain that uh, Ethiopian culture end up having to use for their In home cooking. Yep. yep. And taff actually has, I think the beta form of the uh, glycine, uh, gluten, excuse me, that people are able to tolerate that particular gluten versus the alpha form of the gluten. So taff can be very, very, good for patients with celiac and a particular issue with gluten sensitivity. Oh, I didn't know that. That's, yeah. um, that's wonderful to know. Yeah. I used to grind teff into flour and making pancakes out of it. So you oh. could add that plus some maple syrup. I know Canadians love maple syrup Yeah, we do. and, <laughs> uh, and some, and a, and a piece of banana basically and make a nice fluffy uh, pancake out of that. Uh, it was a good alternative because, um, you know, years ago when I was severely sick and going through Lyme disease and Bartonella infection. One of the things I really had to fix was like food that mm. I was eating. And one of the things that I always missed was the fluffiness of a pancake. Yeah. Well, you're not going to achieve that utilizing almond flour. And I was doing some research and I'm like, holy crap, I could eat teff. <laughs> so I used to grind that up and then make it into pancake. Wonderful. Yeah. I've been avoiding the Ethiopian restaurants because yeah, the injara, it's like I call and does it have gluten? Yes. I didn't know that, but I would be willing to try that just to see how I react. Yeah. They're very thin pieces to begin with. So take a small yeah. piece and then see how you um, react. I mean, see how it is. It is tasty. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's delicious. Okay. We're, we're running out of time a little bit, but I quickly want to touch on a highly contentious topic, which is okay. the birth control pill. Oof, man, you went there. It, it, it probably take an hour to just explain that part. <laughs> I just want to go over some of yeah. the long-term risk factors. Now I know birth control absolutely serves a purpose. There's no shame or blame on women who decide to take the birth control pill, but I think we all need to be aware of the risks associated with it. Yeah. So, you know, if I had a choice and um, if, if anybody has a choice, their choice should be to not taking oral contraceptives. I'm not saying to shame or anything else, but it's just the overall health issue that I see from taking uh, from patients taking procontrol pills that I prefer patients not to take it. Okay, mm -hmm. that, that's the only thing that I'm going to explain. The reason being is when you're taking 
oral contraceptives, especially taking synthetic estrogen. And this comes into taking uh, regular natural estrogen by mouth, but when you're taking estrogen by mouth, it actually decreases your B vitamins, okay? Your B1, B2, B3, including your B12, um, and also depletes your magnesium, selenium, mm -hmm. zinc, including your 5-HTP production gets decreased as well, right? So why is that? Well, when you're taking estrogen by mouth, it actually disrupts your microbiome as well. And you need that natural microbiome to produce serotonin. Mm. So it's not an uncommon thing that uh, female patients who are taking birth control pills for a long period of time, they have complaints of depression, right? Because why? Because you're already depleting all these uh, cofactors, including B12 and B6, and decreasing production of a serotonin that resulted in possible issue with depression, anxiety, mm -hmm. right? So those are the biggest uh, consequences that you're going to have, especially for mental health, uh, then, and also your microbiome health that you end up having to really need for your overall foundation you need. Mm. Yeah. So what, what are some other options then? Oh, geez. Um, Natural planning in terms of planning when you could actually have uh, intercourse or relations with your partners could be, you know, said and done, but obviously the spontaneity is not there. Other ways to do it is to utilizing, you know, barrier contraception like condoms. Yeah. Uh, and then the other one, I know is I we still don't like it, but IUDs could be one of the things they could do, copper form of it, but I've seen more issues dealing with perforation utilizing yeah. IUD that I'm not a big fan of it. And also utilizing IUD uh, using um, synthetic progestin uh, and in, in an IUD form of it also can cause additional issues in terms of clotting issues um, and other things that comes to play that I am still not a big fan of it. Um, so if you could use barrier contraception or other things of that nature that are more natural and also timing aspect of it, Mm -hmm. uh, could be a better bet. And uh, if you are taking birth control pills, let's just say if it, because of potential PCOS, taking birth control pills to control PCOS is going to cause more problem than anything else. I just mentioned to you all the nutrients you're depleting, yeah. but all those nutrients are really needed for your proper um, insulin production and reactivity within the body to begin with. So you're causing more problem by taking birth control pills. You want to take the time to really fix your diet, look at the root cause issue, uh, potentially dealing with gut dysbiosis and inflammation, and potentially issue dealing with parasites that you have to focus on and try to fix the PCOS issue instead of just taking a pill because it's more issue than anything else. And if you are those patients who are taking, let's just say, a drug called metformin, I know we don't have enough time to discuss about metformin, yeah. There's a common drugs to be prescribed for female patients dealing with PCOS. Well, metformin decreases zinc, coenzyme Q10, B12, magnesium, vitamin D as well. So again, more issues coming up, taking these drugs, trying to fix one issue and having more uh, problem that's kind of come up down the yeah. line. Yeah. So what, what can women do when they're diagnosed with PCOS? fix your diet first. That's yeah. the very first thing you want to do. And also if you're having PCOS, you have some type of leaky gut issues. Mm -hmm. So fix your gut, fix your diet. Uh, let's get that uh, taken care of first. 
and then overall taking the time to do take the right tests and figure out what the overall issue behind it could be pathogen could be just the overall uh usually pathogen anyway so as long as you're able to fix that issue in many cases could be reversed yeah there's and is you can correct me if i'm wrong but sometimes there's a thyroid connection to pcos isn't there yeah huge with that and thyroid could be coming from the fact that uh there's a play of um, toxicity that comes in as well, heavy metals, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that also affects the amount of thyroid being produced and as well as the conversion of thyroid hormones. So that also come into effect. So PCOS, we have to do a, a different episode for it, but it's not just a simple fix that we think that, you know what, I give you X, Y, and Z that's going to fix it. It's a lot more to deal with that. There's a lot of stress component to it, trauma, uh, as well as um, insulin resistance could result in from overall years of inflammation and genetic component could be a big thing. And as well as some of the pathogens like mold and parasite issues. Yeah, that Including is all, yeah, yeah. That, that's a whole nother <laughs> whole different thing. Yeah. yeah. So I, I used to finish the podcast with various questions and now I've changed those questions. You're the okay. first recipient of them. Oh boy. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) They're a little bit more thought provoking. So here we go. If you found out the world was ending in a year, how would you spend the rest of your time? Hmm. I would probably take the time to sell everything, take what I have and travel. Just able to observe the beauty of this world as much as I can interact with different people and really enjoy that because it's going to end, it's going to disappear anyway. So experience it now and cherish it. Amazing. That was a good, good answer. What is the lie that you tell yourself most often? The lie? A lie. Oof. I got to get back to that. I don't think I've ever told myself a lie. I'm pretty straightforward in myself. And sometimes I'm very hypercritical of myself as well which is also a bad trait. I mean, I'm like an open book. If I have an issue, I'll, I'll tell you, um, is that I, I don't like to sugarcoat anything by myself. I think it's just the way that I grew up. Also, I think that's another reason why I'm, I'm sometimes uh, hyper, um, hypercritical of what I do. And sometimes when I don't do something that I end up having to, uh, you know, criticize, criticize my own actions. Mm-hmm. And I also have moments in, in the evening, like even yesterday, I had a time of just reflection in terms of, you know, what could I have done differently uh, in that sense of that? So uh, I never told myself a lie. I would never lie that, you know, something that I really enjoy something could end up having to uh, potentially cause issues down the line. So I don't like to overindulge either. Okay. So a little different. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll get back to you on that. I'll get back okay. to you on that. I got I to gotta think about it a little more. Okay. What are the day-to-day things you enjoy doing the most? And do your do you find yourself doing them often? Things that I end up having to really, uh, that I enjoy on a daily basis is the self-reflection time that I just mentioned before. Um, so I, I started doing this thing called heart meth uh, breathing technique. So heart coherent, coherent breathing. Uh, and that's been a game changer just for myself. Um, in terms of the world decision I'm making and, and how I am these days. So I really cherish that on a day-to-day basis. And the second thing I also cherish is the 
time to spend what I'm going to teach and be creative. Uh, so those are the moments that I really cherish on a day-to-day basis. And do you find yourself doing them often? I do um, more and more now. Um, you know, I, I could cherish, I mean, I, I, you know, some people end up having to say, you know, they cherish the time of the loved ones and such. We always do that. But one of the things that I soon realized that you need to have your own reflection time and also enjoying your own presence of your being alone as well. I think people end up having to forget that. And they also forget to love themselves also because they, they're so busy doing other things and helping people that they forget to take care of themselves. Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. At the end of your life, what are three things you want to be remembered for? I, I want to be remembered for what I have done to impact patient, people's lives, not just patients, but people's lives. If I could here, listen, I mean, I could have all the followers on Instagram and have all the riches, but if I'm not able to impact one person's life to make a difference in their lives, to make a healthier living and really change the course of their overall health, you know, what's the whole point? So mm-hmm. if I could at least have that and someone to remember me by and saying that, hey, you know, Dr. Kim made a humongous impact and changed my life, that's all I need. Mm. So no, no other two things. There was three things. You oh, to three things. Oh my goodness. Uh, <laughs> second, I, I, that's one. Second is, um, it's more of a higher calling than anything else. Um, and I'm, I'm a, I'm a born again Christian, and I always think about the afterlife and being in front of Christ. And later on, I want to be remembered for what I have done to enjoy his presence in this earth and to advance his kingdom. So that's basically a second aspect of it. And third is to be reflected on by people that, um, geez, third one. I only have two or one third, third one. Um, I don't think I have a third one. That's because fine. If, if, if I end up having to impact people's lives, that that's, that's, that's what it comes out to. I, I, you know, I picked pharmacy profession because I thought it was a calling. Mm. Right. I, I, you know, I don't really, really talk about my overall past, but when I was 17, I almost committed suicide. I didn't know that. I, yeah. I almost committed suicide. And, um, and the, the turnaround that actually really made an impact was the fact that um, God or Christ would end up have, would be the, the center point of my life to make the uh, change that I needed. Mm. And at that point in time, when I was 17, even 18, until I was maybe 20 years old, I had no direction to what I wanted to do with my life at all. And when I found out that um, doing compounding and also being working in the pharmacy and making the changes that I was able to make in patients' lives, that basically brought a joy and per- sense of purpose. Mm. Right? That's why I ended up having to pick a pro- professional for pharmacy. Well, in terms of doing functional medicine, it just came up to be natural course of in terms of what I experienced in the world that I wanted to change that I, I got into functional medicine. But initially getting into pharmacy was because of the fact that I thought I believed that. And I had a huge um, commitment in my heart that this is my calling. This is where I should be. And this is how I'm going to impact people's lives. So even in terms of what you asked about, you know, how you want people to be remembered by, that's it. Those are the two things. Because I was basically nothing when I was 17. I had, I basically was trying to end my life 
but I gained a lot more by picking a different side of my life into and making a positive difference. Yeah, that's beautiful. It's it's amazing where God leads us and where we end up. And we can't see the path from the beginning, but he can and he knows where we're going to go and why we need to get there and how we need to get there. So that's um that's a really amazing story. Uh, thank you. I, and I see a lot of these um, younger generation, especially nowadays, they're going through heavy issues with mental health, anxiety, and depression. Mm-hmm. And I'm able to relate to that. It's a, it's a tough time. Um, it's a tough period in terms of being feeling lost, not even just that, feeling lonely, and no one's able to understand what you're going through. Mm-hmm. That's the painful part. Right. Being alone is the part that end up having to be painful. Um, so I hope the things that I talk about on, on Instagram or anywhere else, that people are able to see a difference in terms of the positive change that could be coming to play, not just about believing in Christ, I'm not here to you know, evangelize people or anything else, but they're mm-hmm. much more than that, that you are valued. Mm-hmm. that you're able to make a big impact in your life. There's a purpose of why you're living and there's a purpose into what you're doing that never lose hope. Yeah, that is so wonderful. And what advice would you like to leave our listeners with in regard to their health? I'm a big believer that the doctor of the future is you, that you need to take in charge of your overall health and that's all that matters. Amazing. Well, Dr. John, it was amazing to have you on the show again. This is like, we could have definitely done a part two, three, and four probably about some of the talk. Yeah, that was a lot of topic to discuss in one full hour. So hopefully, uh, you know, if, if listeners like to be for me to come back again and then discuss more about this in a detailed manner, uh, be happy to do so. Yeah. And where can people find you? Definitely. You can find me on Instagram. I'm always active there. It's Dr. Uh, John doctor.john.farmd. Uh, and then my website is drkimwellness.com. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show again, Dr. John Kim. Lena, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. I hope you gained better insight into how you can be the healthiest version of yourself that you can be. If you haven't done so already, make sure to subscribe to the podcast and please leave me a review as your reviews get this message of better health out there. You can also follow me on Instagram at Lena Jade's Healthy Life, where I post fitness, nutrition, and psychology content pretty much every day. All right, you guys, that is it for today. Thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned for the next episode. And as you go throughout your day, always remember... You are powerful over your health.